0: Now, some people like ads, some people don't, and that's okay. But we like to keep everyone happy. So if you're one of the people who doesn't like to listen to ads, choose the Dave McWilliams Plus option on Apple Podcasts. And you can listen to this podcast just the way you like it.
1: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, If. only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... understand the economy, you have to understand human nature.
0: This podcast is powered by ACAST.
1: It is podcast time. There is a serious, serious event. There's an, there's an actual, there's an affrontery. A man has been affronted in this podcast. <laughs> His name's John Davis. There are many reasons... Not to let this man into your house, into your bar, into your restaurant. I, I could, I've I been could stopped name many times, too. Many, many times. But last night, John, you didn't
0: get into the cinema. I, they wouldn't let me in. I went to the cinema. I decided, you know, I haven't been to cinema in ages. And I want to, everyone's talking about Oppenheimer and Barbie. And I want to go and see those films. Not a hope. Not a seat to be had. At all. Wow. In, in all of them. In, in Dundrum. And, and so they've I got went, about okay, twenty-seven
1: I'll, screens there, have they? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And they've about twenty viewings during the day. Not a hope. And then I went to get a ticket for Barbie. Not a hope. Not a hope. So I ended up in
1: Mission Impossible.
0: <laughs> which was
1: great. Now actually. what is Mission Impossible? Is 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 Tom Cruise Tom jumping Cruise. around the place?
0: Tom Cruise looking about 22 as always, Uh, but (laughs) brilliant action scenes, fantastic. The whole thing was brilliant, but utter shite, the plot, and because it's (laughs) all about AI, it's all about AI, the entity, the entity taking over AI, but there's a great scene which did make me laugh, and it's like the the CIA, you know, trying to track down the baddies, the usual kind of stuff, but the AI was one step ahead of them, so they had to go back to analogue and there's one scene where they've got a typing pool of about a few hundred CIA agents all on typewriters tapping away because <laughs> it was offline. <laughs> and I went, oh, this is going to be the new but, trend. It's going to be type me, and analog.
1: typewriters and analogue. Typewriters and book reading, That's that's great for me. Tell me, Oppenheimer is just obviously the movie of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. And, and and what's fascinating about that is, like, if you look at the billboards of Killian Murphy's face, you know that face is—he's he's, gone. Yeah. He's obviously, hasn't had a fucking pizza since last St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. But he looks amazing. Yeah, he looks amazing. Yeah, yeah. And it's the Trilby slightly. He's mysterious, and he's a little bit enigmatic. And it's an amazing idea, John, that a movie, you know. We've always said in the podcast, we said a lot of things in the podcast, but one of the things that's always intrigued me is the way in which culture, like popular culture, like cinema, mm. always reflects what's going on in the society at the time. We think it comes out of nowhere, but it's, as you said, Tom Cruise thing all about AI, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Oppenheimer is all about two things. One is nuclear power is back as not just an alternative to, but part of, the mix, yep. right? Yeah, yeah. And, and also, so too is the neurosis of American power. So if you think about what happened to Oppenheimer, right? So there's no spoiler alert. We know what happened to him. He was, he was a communist. He was a communist fellow traveler. And the Americans went into a deep anti-communist phase after 1945. Yeah, and Oppenheimer went, and Everest, from, yeah. went from hero to zero, right? Yeah. In the yeah. United States. But what is also intriguing is the way that which the Americans in 1945, think about it. They were militarily, politically, strategically, demographically the only game in town, Mm. right? They could have set up an empire. I've always been intrigued by why the Americans in the 1940s didn't actually occupy their countries and actually create an American empire. They created a strange sort of nodes of allies all over the world so Japan, Germany, France, Britain, yeah. etc., around the Soviet Union. But they never had any real compulsion, it seemed to me, to actually create it's very unusual that a country would emerge preeminent in every area, including nuclear. So they had the bomb. Yeah. And they just didn't create a physical empire. If you think about what the Brits had done. A hundred years. Have, the French had done.
0: That would have been a huge amount of resources, though. Surely, huge
1: amount of resources, and and maybe they just concluded that although they were by far and away the biggest navy, yeah, the army with nuclear weapons, they had invaded Europe and they'd laid waste to Europe, and their army was all over Europe. They had Japan had surrendered to them. They just balked at the idea that most countries in that position the past did, which was say, okay, now we're going to actually enslave these people yeah. and get them to work for us. And the Americans didn't do it. And of course, part of that whole thing is the anti-communist thing because there was obviously a big part of the United States firmament that believed the communists were infiltrating and there was reds under the bed and Oppenheimer's part of it. So I'm saying the Oppenheimer movie is still about why nuclear is back in vogue, which is important. Mm. It's also that idea of the neurosis that Americans felt at the end of the Second World War and the sort of neurosis they feel now about their position too. Explain that a little bit. Well, I think that the United States at the moment is a very, very anxious place. It's politically yeah. very, very divided. As you know, there is a profound culture war going on in the States. Yeah. And yeah. that culture war defines where everybody sits, and whether that you sit on economics or politics or demography or race or immigration yeah. or the size of government or abortion or religion. It's a culture war. You've got liberals, progressives on one side, and you have conservative religious folk on the other side. Yeah. Every now and then a person emerges like a Donald Trump who will galvanize the forces, but the forces are already there. And I think that what the Oppenheimer movie is playing into is that idea also of deep, profound anxiety and insecurity that the Americans had after the Second World War when they should have been preeminent They turned against themselves in this Red Scare, the Joe McCarthy idea. And they tried to get everybody who was liberal and say, you're not really American. But
0: that was also the start of their soft power and the idea of soft power, wasn't it? That they they started deploying not just their their heavy armaments, but, you know, their movies. And since we're talking about- Rock and roll, Hollywood, Elvis Presley,
1: all that stuff. Yeah. 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 Levi Jeans. Wrangler jeans. Yeah. The the Wrangler waistcoat that you were, I believe, a proud wearer of. <laughs> and the Wrangler parallels. Do you remember them? Like the low Wrangler parallels. I do. You could hide a six back up them. That's right. That's right. <laughs> anyway, we we digress. So Oppenheimer is part of the cultural firmament as well as being a great movie and yeah. the performances are apparently amazing. And Murphy looks extraordinary in there. And of course, Oppenheimer himself, that there was a very conflicted, very complex individual maybe not the nicest individual. So Murphy has to do all that heavy lifting to try and make the whole thing work. But what is interesting to me is why in the late 1940s and early 1950s, when the United States and when the world should have been going into the nuclear age, if you think about it, who's maybe one of the most famous faces of the 20th century, the best known face of the 20th century, I would suspect, is up there with Stalin and Hitler, is Einstein. Yes,
0: yes, yeah, yeah.
1: Albert Einstein became a global brand, a global celebrity, you know, and and all his quotes and and all his witticisms and and his appearing in Hollywood. So it's it's amazing that physics, the 20th century, was very much the century of physics and the men in the white coats and being a physicist was the coolest thing in the world, mm. right? And that's why, and, and Einstein wasn't just a physicist. Imagine you had said in the late 1890s, right, that the global celebrity of the next 100 years is actually going to be a real nerd, an yeah, uber yeah. nerd. Yeah. But he became that, you know? I mean, as iconic as Che Guevara, as iconic of all this was, was Einstein. Now, you would have thought because Einstein so bestrided the globe as this colossus, is intellectual, and because Oppenheimer came up with the bomb, and because the Americans figured out, well, we can create enormous amounts of energy with this, that the second half of the 20th century, when we were born, would have been the nuclear age, mm. would have been the age where nuclear became the way we would power the world. But it didn't happen. That's the fascinating, but isn't it? it didn't being, happen. It,
0: it didn't happen for a couple of reasons, though. One of them being, it scared the living daylights out of everyone. You know, Nagasaki and Hiroshima. You know, and that great moving Hearts song, Hiroshima, and Nagasaki, Russian Roulette.
1: I remember you singing that very, very well when we were kids. <laughs> I do remember listening to Mark After Dark, I believe, with the show. That's right. That's right. That's right. Mark Hagney. <laughs> exactly. One of the great DJs. Absolutely, One of the great he is. DJs.
0: Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And then it was also followed up by other nuclear disasters. So while nuclear had this great promise of endless energy, cheap energy, it also was a scary energy. It felt like something that, that we couldn't quite control, like we had the accidents on Three Mile Island, et cetera.
1: Three Mile Island, and then, of course, you did Chernobyl. And I, Chernobyl, I remember course, Chernobyl. Yeah. I remember it very well. But I think the anti-nuclear thing, was very, very much part of the anti-war movement.
0: Yeah, and there were those movies as well that were scary, which was, you know, The Day After and Threads and then the really sad cartoon one, When the Wind Blows. I mean, they had a big impact on us as kids.
1: Do you remember we used to have to do those drills? We used to do the little the little leaflets. If there's a nuclear attack, do you remember yeah, this? Yeah. Go under your stairs. <laughs> For fuck's sake, give me more than that. <laughs> yeah. you have to go under your stairs. do duvet over you. Why? Yeah, for the duvet are going downstairs. But if we come back to it, the polity, You're absolutely right that in 1968, we in Ireland didn't have a 68 generation, right? We didn't have a 1968 moment. But that moment in Europe, Danny Cohn Bandit, and, and and all those student radicals, and the things that took down to go. In Paris, yeah. And, and in Paris, but of course in Germany, and led to the Barter-Meinhof and urban guerrillas. And of course, the equivalent being in the United States, the whole hippie movement, which was driven, of course, by the anti-Vietnam movement, which was driven, of course, by an anti-war movement. This all regarded nuclear as being part of the military-industrial complex. Mm. And that where you stood on nuclear defined where you stood on a whole bunch of other liberal issues. And those 1968 student radicals, became 1990s politicians, in certainly in Europe and definitely in the United States. I mean, John Kerry was the great example of that in the United States. So what you have is this amazing confluence of factors where still nuclear is regarded as part of the war machine rather than, as you said, an amazing opportunity to create a reasonably clean energy. Yeah. And of course, those guys were very much the people who set up the Green Parties all over Europe, right? Joska Fischer, who was the German foreign minister and a couple of cabinets ago, was very much a student radical. And they set up the Green Parties, and then the Green Parties are committed to being anti-nuclear. And so consequently, everything is moving against nuclear until, ironically, John, the planet heats up. Yes, absolutely. And people realize, actually, hold on a second, the real enemy of climate change is burning coal, burning gas, and burning oil, because that's what heats up the world. And the real solution is renewable energies, wind, solar, wave, and nuclear. So ironically, nuclear comes back into the mainstream discussion as a result of environmental concerns, which were the very concerns which drove it underground in the first place, was yep. those concerns were allied to the anti war movement all around the world. And
0: also, Mac, it's not just the environmental movement. It's as we've been talking about the energy crisis across Europe, especially in Germany and Italy and Spain, France, I'd Say although France has lots more nuclear than anywhere else. But it is that not just the environmental movement, but We have a real energy crisis on our hands as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt the world needs an alternative to Russian gas, as Andrea Binder pointed out in Germany. But what is fascinating, John, is because the world turned its back on nuclear, for whatever reason, we've listed a few of them, the percentage of our energy that comes from this extraordinary power is very, very low. Mm. So therefore, the potential upside for nuclear is very, very big, right? It's a, it's a huge potential upside. And just one last thing I'd point in that, John, is, you know, the, one of the most vocal supporters of nuclear energy as a solution to climate change now is Elon Musk, right? Yes. And there is a sort of a tech bro thing going on. I've them nuclear bros, right? right? And these nuclear bros are like, we're pragmatic, we're matter of fact, we're pro-science, it's pro-science. And all you environmentalists are kind of tree huggers and uh, and wishy-washy hippie sort of, what I would call windscale warriors. you remember windscale, John? I
0: do remember windscale, God, I remember it well, yeah, yeah. I think I was one of those warriors.
1: I think you were me, one Bono, of those. Me, Bono, and Christy Moore. You, Bono, and Christy Moore, exactly. <laughs> For the younger listener... Yeah. Windscale was the original name of a nuclear power station, which is straight opposite Dublin on the Irish Sea on yeah. the British side.
0: Actually, it's up a bit more than Dockyard area.
1: Yeah. Now, of course, what do you do when you've got really, really bad brand equity? You change the name. Yeah. So Windscale became Sellafield, but it's yeah. still Windscale. So Windscale Warriors were a catch-all term for John, <laughs> Bono. Christy Moore. And of course, they came out of an anti-nuclear movement in Carnesau Point in the 1970s, which we will come back to. But let's let's look at, so what you have now, the problem is that the discussion on nuclear is framed in a binary way. You're either pro-nuclear and you're a nuclear bro, and nuclear is the solution to all eventualities and all climatic problems, which it is not. Or you're a you're a windscale warrior, in which case nuclear is still associated with war, and the world is only one Chernobyl away from disaster. Yeah. Which you could argue it is not. So rather than both of these forces coming together, given that what they're actually trying to do is wean ourselves off coal, gas, and oil for both environmental and, as you said, geostrategic reasons. Mm. They're at each other's throats because the tech bros are dismissing the hippies and the hippies are freaked out by the tech bros. And all the while, the earth gets hotter, 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 hotter. And if we want, so I suppose the question for everyone is, if we want economic growth, and most people do, and if we want to get to net zero, and most people do, We need to find a combination of all these energy sources because you can't have economic growth without energy. Energy is what drives the whole thing. So what you have is this sort of inconsistency that if we want growth and if we want net zero, we have to find a cocktail of energy sources that will actually achieve that and wean us off oil and gas. So therefore, nuclear has to be part of this thing.
0: Okay, let's put some numbers around this from an economic perspective. After a bit of this.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection.
0: In order for economic growth to continue, we need more energy. We need new sources of energy. Yeah. Because we have this trade off between economic growth and the environment and a heating planet. Nuclear is part of that solution. So give us some numbers. Talk to me more well, it about that.
1: It should be. So, should so, John, yeah, so yeah. what we're talking about is amazingly, you know, nuclear power, which has the potential to solve many problems, has been. Mm denigrated has been in some way downplayed so that a very small percentage of our global energy is produced by nuclear. So I'll just give you the figures. There is less electricity produced by nuclear today, John, than at any stage in the past 50 years. There are 440 nuclear reactors in the world they generate 9.8% of the world's electricity. This is the first time this figure has fallen below 10% since the 1970s, right? So there's a big, big movement against nuclear. Mm. And this is also 40% below its peak, which was in 1996, when nuclear generated about 17.5% of total world electricity, right? But there is a massive movement, particularly now in China, to increase nuclear. So between 2002 and 2021, there have been 98 new reactors built worldwide. There's also been 105 closed worldwide. But of those new builds, John, half of them are in China, and the Chinese haven't closed any reactors at all.
0: Right, okay. Now
1: today, because of this 68-generation anti-nuclear getting into power in the 80s, late 80s, and the 90s, it means that the mean age of the world's nuclear reactors is now 31 years. So they're very, very old, right? And the US has the largest fleet of these reactors, which is about 92, right? Right. Yeah, but yeah. This yeah. year, this year, 60 new nuclear reactors are under construction, of which one third or 21 are in China. So the Chinese are really going for this, right? Mm, good. That's a good thing projects the Chinese are pioneering. None of its reactors are now more than 30 years old. None, which is amazing. In contrast, 80% of all European reactors are more than three decades old. And what you find, John, and this goes back to legacy and politics, is emerging economies, India, for example, Indonesia, these countries are much more likely to be pro-nuclear than richer economies. So there's a big legacy thing going on. Yeah, And then What do you think? When I think of nuclear, I think these massive Chernobyl-type reactors. Yeah, big golf ball
0: things sticking out of the earth, yeah.
1: Which are beside rivers, and they need to be cooled down, and they're dangerous, and the top can blow off them. Well, apparently, the big bet now for many pro-nuclear people are these small reactors called small modular reactors, essentially micro-nuclear power stations, right? That could be actually built in factories at a fraction of the cost because nuclear is incredibly expensive yeah. to build those big things, right? So the big bet of the nuclear industry is now small. Small reactors that will maybe power a town or a small city or, or whatever. And this is the this is the whole bet that the nuclear industry is playing because they know one, we need a mix of nuclear and solar renewable. Two, we can't continue to burn gas and oil. But three, what we need is a form of nuclear reactor that is actually affordable and is consistent with the way in which the world lives now, which is in smaller cities, but smaller, but many cities. So they've come up with these, these small modular reactors. Now, I'm no engineer. I don't know how these things work, but it seems to me that this is the way in which the world is going to move to nuclear, right? Now, Interestingly, although this sounds like a lot of money, 24 billion was invested in the construction of new nuclear plants in the United States last year. But this is only one fifteenth of the total investment in renewable energy capacity. Wow. And even so that- in countries that have nuclear reactors, nuclear power is coming from renewable energy. I'll give you an example. Yeah. India, which is a nuclear power, solar energy outdid nuclear energy. And in the European Union, renewables account for 95% of all new electricity generating capacity, which has been added in the last couple of years. So even though nuclear is regarded as an option, its footprint is still incredibly low.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I suppose the problem with the old nuclear plants was that they took ages to build and they only had a lifespan of about 30 years. You know, after that, they need to be refurbished so we can give them more life. But it was a huge investment. Now, the, I know that the new nuclear reactors can last much longer, but still, again, it's a huge investment. But I suppose that the real holy grail, which we're not really touching on now, but the real holy grail is nuclear fusion. But the technology just isn't there yet, you know? But once we crack that, if we crack that, you know,
1: it's endless clean energy. So you're, you're, you're putting things together rather yeah. than blowing them apart. Exactly, exactly. And it's the blowing them apart creates the waste. Yeah. So unfortunately, what you're we, they, saying is we're, no, we're not near that yet. Yeah. So engineers aren't but, near that.
0: My understanding is that there's been a lot of progress made on it, but they just can't scale it up to proper power plant levels yet.
1: But these small modular reactors, would seem to be part of the solution. But yeah. it does appear, it does appear that, you know, what you need is a synthesis of the tech bro nuclear, pro-nuclear, pro-science, pro-engineering people, and the, the more renewable, circular, donors economy type people, the sort of, the, the low growth people. So the tech bros are saying, we can grow. Yeah. This is the sort of miraculous energy that we can have. And the, Environmentalists, or traditional environmentalists, think we need to go to zero growth, slow growth, and recycling.
0: But how do we change the perception then of nuclear power? How does that? You just happen? get
1: Killian Murphy to go on a diet. <laughs> well, you see, the interesting thing is, that even in Ireland, you know that Ireland has passed legislation that bans nuclear. It's yes. illegal in this country, right? even to research it. Absolutely, even to research it, which is. I would say a little bit regressive. This must be the dilemma for the Green Party, because on the one hand, they want a cleaner environment. But on the other hand, they know that part of that has to be embracing some form of energy. Yeah. And they also know that the nuclear proponents have said that it's much safer and much cleaner and much less waste and la la la. And we can, you know, we can we can deal with nuclear waste. Yeah. Right. But there still is this dilemma. And of course, then what you have is what I would call the Windscale Warriors, like your mates, right, who are still around.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what Eamon Ryan, he's still stuck in that old view of nuclear and that Windscale Warrior kind of nonsense. And what it reminds me of is the point that you make about the left. They look for traitors and the right look yes. for converts. The greens are the same. And I think Eamon Ryan is caught in that kind of, you know, you're not green enough if you go down the nuclear route.
1: I think that's, you're absolutely right. Because, you know, there is this expression, which I uh, which I think is pejorative, but it is interesting, we might have used it before, of the watermelon. Yeah. So basically, you're green on the outside, but you're red on the inside. And lots and lots of Lefties, communists, Marxists, etc., once the Soviet Union collapsed 25 years ago, they thought, oh shit, man, we've got to get a new ideology that is more acceptable to the broad middle class. Yeah. And what they came up with was environmental concerns. I'm not saying this is the case for everyone, but you're absolutely right. Because they do behave like theocratic Marxists. As you say, you're not green enough for me. Yes. Yeah. You're not environmental enough for me. And what about this, you know, small biodiversity issue With there's a bunch of ants living under a bridge and la, 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 la. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly, yeah. No, that you're absolutely right. I think that's a fair point about the Greens.
0: I came across loads of those when I was doing my college degree, which is, of course, environmental science back in the mid-90s. So it was full of them.
1: Well, you know, it's just, I suppose it's just old-scale thinking. I mean, for example, like Engineers Ireland, right? So you the clue is in the name, right? And they yeah. would say this, wouldn't they? They have suggested that the state in Ireland should overturn the ban on nuclear. Yeah. And that the government actually, interestingly, seems kind of open to this. Now, another bunch of engineers called 18 for Zero, they believe that adding nuclear power could reduce fossil fuels in Ireland to a minimum by 2037, right? They also claim that nuclear could provide... 1300 high skill long term domestic jobs, etc. Now, people like you, John, would say, well, if we can't build a children's hospital, maybe we shouldn't be bothering even attempting building exactly. nuclear power
0: stations. Exactly.
1: But I think that recently the Finnish government built a new power station and I think they had their own engineers and French engineers built it for them. So we wouldn't have to build it. Yeah. But I mean, I, I do think that over the next couple of years, right? and signaled, not just signaled by this movie, but signaled by environmental concerns. The idea that nuclear will be off the agenda indefinitely is naive. I think it'll be back on the agenda. Now, interestingly, John, Desi O'Malley in 1979, who was the Minister for Energy during an energy crisis, he was the one who came up with the idea that we would have not one but three nuclear power stations in Carnesau Point right? Yeah. Which is off the coast. Yeah. And your mate, of course, Christy Moore and planksty and all those lads led the charge against it. Yeah. And they're very much 1968 thinkers. Yeah. Very, the CND, very, they're very all much.
0: part of CND as well. Jeez, I remember CND. Yeah.
1: You had one of those badges.
0: I did. Well, they, they were just cool badges.
1: <laughs> they were cool badges. Did, did you have nuclear power? No nine, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Nine danka on the back of the thing. And a fist. <laughs> but listen, I just think before we go, all we should do, John, is we should spare thought for poor old Gillian Murphy, who is a relentlessly private soul. Yeah. And not only is he responsible for the peaky blinder skin fade, which has turned an entire generation of Irish teenage boys into identical clones. Have you seen them recently? Yes. Right. You can't miss them. You can't, you can't miss them. them. Every single every single kid in Ireland has got a skin fade. Every single kid in Ireland looks like Tommy Shelby. Killian Murphy, not only has he done that and brought the skin fade back, but unbeknownst to himself, because of Oppenheimer, he sparked a new row between the nuclear tech bros on the one hand and the Irish windscale warriors.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, my heart goes out for him. Poor lad. <laughs>